Hi everyone, this is The Rock Channel. We're on to episode number nine. Yes, we are. So, uh, in this episode, we're gonna dedicate uh, the subject to Mr. Jimmy fucking Hendrix. The one and only. Uh, this is best on a request we got uh, to shine more light on this ta talented man's life and music journey. So, uh, let's kick this shiznit off correctly. Hell yes. you crazy mamma jammas out there this is tyson and i'm victor and welcome to the rock channel podcast if this is your first time listening then thank you for joining us the rock channel podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment uh, with extra episodes being recorded available upon subscription on our website uh, that is found at www.therockchannel.net tune in often and uh, also feel free to follow us on twitter uh, at rockchannel underscore net or like us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. Uh, so let's get into the show. All right, guys, we're going to kick it right off with the discussion of our lip topic, which is Jimi Hendrix. Jimmy. Uh, we're going to talk about the biography of this uh, amazing man who revolutionized music as yes, we know did. it. Yes, he did. Uh, this is going to be an awesome episode. So. Let's get to it. Let's do it. Okay, we're going to start with this uh, topic, Jimi Hendrix, and we're going to have a in-depth discussion about it. Uh, before we go into an article that reads about his biography, uh, Victor, what do you know about Jimi Hendrix? And uh, how is an impression of his music made on you, uh, maybe hearing it or growing up or uh, your father showing it to you or seeing it at Woodstock or this or that? Seeing it at Woodstock. Not seeing it. You know, I wasn't here. Uh, you see videos of it. <laughs> like, um, just Jimi Hendrix and... and if they had the Woodstock in Romania, I would have seen it. Hell yes. So, Jimi Hendrix, what I know of him, he was a man. He was a man. He owned a guitar. He was a righteous man. Uh, he also had an afro. He had an afro. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so... Um, was that racist? What? He had an afro. Why would that be racist? Uh, it's not racist. Oh I have an afro. God. Look, you see my afro starting? <clears throat> uh, at least you forgone your uh, Lenin God Crab Boys, uh, Cowboys look. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> okay. This is what happens so, right here. It gets all curly and shit. My dad wasn't a big Jimi Hendrix fan. Okay. Uh, he did show me a few of his songs and, uh, I mean, I enjoyed him somewhat. It was actually later on in life that I got to listen to him yeah. more. Uh, I remember one, once he went to Germany and brought a few CDs back. Okay. Um, and I had... Um, what did I have? Um, was Jimi Hendrix with one of them. Uh, there was a uh, Led Zeppelin album Zeppelin. that he, uh, he brought. There was... Um, uh, some Nirvana albums because at that time I was a big Nirvana fan. Yeah, yeah. In my teens. So anyway, so, so I your got daddy to, loved you. Uh, the the CD I think was the Jimi Hendrix Experience is one of like okay. the best of yeah. type of a thing. So that's when I actually started to listening to him more in depth and uh, I did get to uh, again I'm still not crazy about the style but I, I I did get to appreciate his guitar work and yeah. all that stuff and looking back in history I know what. He meant for music. So, for everybody, yeah. Uh, so that's the, that's a, a huge thing. And um, that's pretty much 
my background in Jimi Hendrix. Okay. Uh, What's my, yours? My take on Jimi Hendrix is, uh, like you, I, I didn't get so into him because it wasn't my style. But if if now I think back on him and I started listening to him a little bit as an adult, would be rock music wouldn't be where it's at now if he wasn't involved. As in, like it's a butterfly effect. As in, like uh, same with the Beatles. Like it, if Jimi Hendrix or the Beatles or etc. wasn't in rock music whenever at that time, then it wouldn't evolved into what it was now. Say if the Beatles or Jimi Hendrix never existed, right? Do you think there would have been someone in place doing the same thing? Well, I think eventually someone would Eventually, but that yeah. would make it to where uh, rock music wouldn't be where it's at right now. So yeah. it would be 10 years from now, it'd be where it's at. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same question you have all over the place. You know, would science be... Is the, there a destiny? Is the there The same fate? without, uh, you know, Albert Einstein or exactly. without, you know... I still think eventually other people would have stepped up. Uh, eventually, I think we would have gotten rock and roll just because... It wasn't just Jimmy Strangitis and it wasn't just the Beatles. It was a movement that yeah. already started. These were just like the, the guys who really skyrocketed to the front. Well, I agree with that yeah. we would have eventually gotten it, yeah. but I don't think we would have gotten it so <coughs> soon and we would maybe be yeah. in like in the 80s right now. Like the music would still be like an 80s format right now. Maybe, you know, it just maybe. the timeline would be further on. So maybe we would have made some money out of music. Yeah, because we wouldn't have to be talented. <laughs> Napster and all of that crap that yeah. ruined everything. I hear you. Or rappers <coughs> uh, saying nonsense words and making a million dollars. Or that. <clears throat> yeah. Talking to so, you, young Yachty. Yeah. So that's, I mean, uh, I'm a um, fairly fresh, uh, fresh pop when it comes to Hendrix. So well, if, you, I just, if you can shine any more light yes, on his and that's uh, what we're going to do based career. on the request. Uh, but I just, I believe he was very monumental and I understand that aspect yeah. as in, I know he meant something to so many people around the world, just like the Beatles well, did. To be fair, if none of these bands existed, uh, Beatles, Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, all of that stuff, mm -hmm. whoever would have been first would have, you would have sat here saying the exact same thing. Where would rock music be without Jim Bob? Yeah. <laughs> you know, who was the Hendrix that uh, came after Hendrix because yeah. Hendrix never was never born. So with everyone that opens new avenues, mm -hmm. you have this like, where would X be without this guy? And if it's not this guy, it's going to be the next guy. Yes. You know, <laughs> you had like, where would grunge rock be without Nirvana? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the same kind of... Uh, would there have been a grunge rock? You know, or like, would there have been an extensive amount of grunge well, rock? Again, I, I don't think Nirvana was the first one. They, they were definitely the ones that Put brought it, it into the yeah. mainstream. But you already had. Uh, I'm just saying, would it have been bands. underground if Nirvana was the one? Yeah, it would, it would possibly have been underground. Yes. Okay, uh, we're gonna get on to the Jimi Hendrix article and read a little bit about Yimmy. his Yimmy, Yimmy, Yimmy Hendrix. Hendrix. A little bit about his life. Okay, uh, James Marshall. Jimmy Hendrix, uh, born Johnny Allen Hendrix, November 27th, 1942. Did he change his name from Johnny Allen to James Marshall? Let's see. James Marshall, Johnny. Uh, yeah, he did, I think. That's uh, weird. It looks like it. Okay, uh, he, he died in 1970. Yes, uh, September 18th, 1970. Uh, was an American rock guitarist, singer, and songwriter. Although his mainstream career spanned only four years. Did not know that. 
He is widely regarded as one of the most influential electric guitarists in the history of popular music and one of the most celebrated musicians of the 20th century. Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame describes him as arguably the greatest instrumentalist in history of rock music. Uh, I do know a little bit about uh, his instrumentation. He he uh, didn't have money or something for the right hand guitar, and so he played a left-handed guitar. Like no, he played a right-handed guitar left-handed. Left-handed. He played it backwards. Yeah. So which would be extremely hard to learn, but I guess if you learn it that way, it wouldn't have been hard for him. You know what I'm saying? Self-taught. He just learned it differently. Like, it's the same with anything, but still, it's very hard to do if you just pick it up. Like, uh, it's, it's the same with the drum set, man. If you don't have a right-handed drum set, I hear you. <laughs> just use the left. Well, just imagine using your, <laughs> if you're left-handed, using your right hand to right. I'm assuming it'd be the same thing, but... You, you need a left-handed pen. Yeah, or left-handed hammer to nail stuff. <laughs> All right, uh, born in Seattle, Washington, Hendrix began... Playing guitar at the age of 15 in 1961. See, I started before him. I started playing drums at the age of 14. There you go. I'm better than Jimi Hendrix. You're better. There you go. We'll say that. All right. I'm a better drummer than Jimi Hendrix. There you go. Yes, you no are. One, no one can disagree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. <laughs> All right. Uh, in 1961, he enlisted in the U.S. Army and trained as a paratrooper in the 101st uh, Airborne Division. He okay. was granted an honorable discharge the following year. Soon afterwards, he moved to Clarksville, Tennessee, and began playing gigs on the Chitlin Circuit. Chitlin? Chitlin. Jesus. Uh, that sounds pretty Tennessean. <laughs> um, earning a place in the Isley Brothers backing band and later with Little Richard. Little Richard. Little Richard. Hmm. Get on up. Nah. Is that Little Richard? <laughs> I think it is. I'm not sure. Okay. Um with whom he continued to work through mid-1965. He then played with Curtis Knight and the Squires before moving to England in late 1966 after being discovered by Linda Keith, who in turn interested bassist Chaz Chandler of the Animals in becoming his first manager. Within months, Hendrix had earned three UK top ten hits. Which yeah, but we, we know those are not worth anything. What do you mean? They're UK. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it says right here, that's the one that your dad brought back uh, with the Jimi Hendrix experience. Mm -hmm. Hey Joe, Purple Haze, and the wild, or the wind cries Mary. He achieved fame in the U.S. after his performance at the Monterey Pop Festival in 1967. And in 1968, his third and final studio album, Electric Ladyland, reached number one in the USA. Uh, it was Hendrix's most commercially successful release and his first and only number one album. The world's highest paid performer, he headlined the Woodstock Festival in 1969 and the Isle of Wight Festival in 1970 before his accidental death from a barbiturate-related asphyxia on September 8, 1970, at the age of 27, which we just Why had Why did he have to go and do barbiturates? Barbiturates. I, I, I think it's like Xanax, stuff like that. I, I think, yes. Um, but if you make it big... Do not do you, barbiturates. And you die of barbiturate overdose, I'm going to fucking kill you. At 27. I'm past 27. It sucks. Okay, uh, so we just had an episode about the 27 Club, which Jimi Hendrix was a part of, which is where we got the special request to do this episode. So, um, he passed away of a barbiturate overdose. Um, the, a lot of people say it's sad, uh, and, and it is. It's very sad someone to pass away so you young. just smoke pot. 
Yeah, I, I'm an advocate of pot. I don't smoke it myself, but I, I don't think people should drive and smoke pot. But I mean, because it impairs you just like anything. Um, but yeah, if you want to smoke pot in your own home, then, then do so. I, I, I don't think you should play guitar and smoke pot. Maybe might make it pretty psychedelic, man. <laughs> if you want to go. But yes, yeah, so I think me and Victor are okay with uh, people smoking weed. It, just, yeah, yeah. it doesn't harm yeah. me. It doesn't. It doesn't affect me. I don't like people being drunkard. Personally, like, I hate smoking anything. So yeah. But the people are free to. Do. I. I. But let let me just say this. I would much rather smell pot smoke uh, than smell guitar <laughs> guitar smoke. Yeah, cigarette smoke. Okay, cigarette smoke. See, yeah. I'm I'm opposite. <laughs> I I don't like the smell of weed, but. Yeah, I, just, I, I smoke cigarettes, so obviously cigarettes I don't. Like, yeah, it makes my clothes sneak. So anyway, on to the topic. Um, he died at the age of 27, which is part of the 27 Club, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Kurt Cobain, uh, etc. So moving on, Hendrix was inspired musically by American rock, rock and roll, and electric blues. He favored overdriven amplifiers with high volume and gain. Did his it, amplifier go to 11? Was that uh, that's a skid row? Not skid row. Spinal uh, tap. Yes, final tap quote. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> All right. Um, and was instrumental in utilizing the previously undesirable sounds caused by guitar amplifier feedback. So he was the first one who did the... Yes, that was like oh pretty good God. feedback there. That I was have good. him to thank for getting that to I the mainstream. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I like it every once in a while. Um, it, it works for intros and stuff With like that. With good measure. Yes. But not... Not all the time. You go George. freaking insane. Yeah. Uh, he helped popularize the use of the wah-wah pedal. Wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah. Again. Is that like a whammy bar? He probably ate like, like the, what? the whammy bar on the guitar. That no, 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 the no, bar. no. That's, wah, a, wah, wah, wah. that's a Floyd Rose. No, it's a the wah-wah pedal. It's like crybaby pedal. Oh, okay. It's the the crybaby wow, bitch pedal? Wow. Crybaby bitch pedal? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. In mainstream rock and was the first artist to use... Stereophonic phasing effects in a music recording. What the uh, hell are those? I'm assuming that's like a reverb, effects pedals, uh, stuff like that. Just effects in general, you know, a delay pedal. I'm assuming that yeah, without without Jimi Hendrix, he, it probably wouldn't have got popular. That's what I'm assuming. He, he, he was all a synth and effect genius. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. Holly George Warren of Rolling Stone <clears throat> commented, Hendrix pioneered the use of... The instrument as an electronic sound source. Players before him had experimented with feedback and distortion, but Hendrix turned those effects and others into a controlled, fluid vocabulary, every bit as personal as the blues with which he began. So they're saying he pioneered the pedals, essentially, which if we didn't have those, I don't think music would sound as, as good. How does that work? If I want to pioneer something, because I'm assuming he didn't build his own pedals. No, he didn't invent it. It's just it wasn't known at the time. And it says right here, artists um, were experimenting well, with it. Yeah, but he but, made it mainstream okay. and popular. So did he find pedals and say, hmm, that's interesting, I'll use it? Or did he go to people and say, why don't you build this for me? I don't know. Because that's, that's a good question. Different. That's a good question. I do, I do not know. Maybe it might touch on that. Okay, Hendrix was the recipient of several music awards during his lifetime and posthumously. In 1967, readers of Melody Maker voted him the Pop Musician of the Year. And in 1968, 
Rolling Stone declared him Performer of the Year. Disc and Music Echo honored him with the World Top Musician of 1969 and 1970. Guitar player named him the Rock Guitarist of the Year. The Jimi Hendrix Experience was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1992. That wasn't that long ago. <clears throat> wow. And the UK Music Hall of Fame in 2005. That's very rare that you see somebody who's inducted into the American Hall of Fame and UK Hall of Fame. I mean, yeah. We'll do that. Of course we will. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Rolling Stone ranked the band's three studio albums, uh, the band's three studio albums. So there was other people in the band that wasn't recognized. I do not agree with that. What do you mean? Jimi Hendrix would not have been if they didn't have the drummer or the other players and stuff like that, you know? Where's yep. their recognition? I know, but you have stuff like Sting. Yeah, it's not going to say Sting and Jimmy and uh, I know. And, I, I just wish they would have gotten recognition more. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Rolling Stone ranked the band's three studio albums. Are you experienced? Axe's Boldest Love and Electric Ladyland among the 100 greatest albums of all time. And they ranked Hendrix as the greatest guitarist and the sixth greatest artist of all time. Sixth greatest. Who's the five before him? I wonder. Beatles, I'm sure, is in there. But he's the among King. The, he's the, Elvis. Yes, yes. I'm. But the six. He's, he's Michael a, Jackson. Michael Jackson. He's a uh, prince. He's among the six greatest artists of all time. So the artist formerly known as the artist formerly known as Prince. Uh, what about uh, Tupac? Tupac. Exactly. <laughs> Tupac. It's Tupac. And uh, what's his name? Oh, Eminem. Eminem. I like, yeah, very talented musician. Uh, we're getting off topic here. We're talking about the <laughs> Hendrix. Uh, Victor, you want to shed some light on his ancestry and childhood? Well, he had a mom and he had a dad. And he had a brother and he had a sister. All right, so Jimi Hendrix was an African-American descent. Is yeah, I'll say. With African-American, is it still? Because at some point it was black. And then it was, no, it's not cool to say black. It's cool to say African-American. And then it was again, it's not cool to say African-American. Now, when there's black came back into the... How is it now? I don't know. Hey, I, it, it says on this article, African-American okay. descent. African-American descent. Both his mother, Lucille, and his father, Al, Al. were African-Americans, okay? Uh, his parental grandmother, Zenora Nora Rose Moore, was an African-American and one-quarter Cherokee. Ooh, so he's so uh, he Native American So he does have a little well. bit of Native American blood. That's cool. Hend Hendrick's parental grandfather... Colonel. You said posthumously. I know. I didn't say posthumously. Right We're gonna say. <coughs> so don't don't start. We're gonna patronize each other for our bad okay. speaking. So Hendrick's parental <coughs> uh, grandfather, uh, Bertrand Philander Rose Hendrix. Cool Jesus Christ! Bertrand. So many names. Yeah. Uh, born in 1866, was the result of an extraterrestrial <laughs> affair. Extraterrestrial affair. <laughs> wow. They were getting down. Okay, and uh, a grain merchant from Urbana, Ohio. Oily noise. Wait, which <laughs> one? Really it's the same thing. Ohio or yes, I guess yeah. it's the same state. Uh, one of the wealthiest men in the area at the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, gold digger. He's a goat. She's a, a gold digger. <laughs> On June 10th, 1919, Hendrix and Moore had a son they named James Allen Ross Hendrix. People called him Al. Okay. All right. So, uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, I mean, uh, that that's basic, the, the ancestry and childhood of uh, Jimi Hendrix. Uh, does it say any more as in to when he grew up later? 
Okay, so um, <clears throat> stage, stationed in Alabama at the time of Hendrick's birth, Al was denied the standard military furlough. What's, what the hell is a furlough? Wait a minute. Furlough, yeah. Furlough, you're saying it, right? I don't know what it is. Maybe right. our listeners will. Make sure to email us. <laughs> All right. Furlough for its <laughs> servicemen for childbirth. Maybe it's like a some money thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, his commanding officer placed him in the stockade. To this, is, him. this is Hendrix's father. Yes. Okay. Uh, to prevent him from going AWOL uh, to see his infant son in Seattle. That's Jimmy. That sucks, man. Jimmy. <laughs> he spent two months locked up without a trial. What the hell? Damn. And, and while in the stockade, received the telegram announcing of his son's birth. Uh, during Al's three-year absence, he still struggled to, struggle to raise their son. Okay. When Al was away, Hendrix was mostly uh, cared for by the family members and friends, especially Lucille's sister, Dolores Hall, and her friend, Dorothy Harding. Dorothy. Dorothy. Okay, so his father finally received the uh, honorable discharge from the army on September 1st, 1945. Um, uh, unable to, two months later, unable to find Lucille and went to Berkeley, California, home of the family friends, Mr. Champ, who had taken care of uh, and had attempted to adopt Hendrix. This is where Al saw his son for the first time. Wow, times were tough. Time for tough. I think you yeah. get a little bit more on his history. I mean, for, for me, it was shitty because when my when my daughter was born, I, I was in the U.S. My okay. wife was in Romania, and uh, I couldn't go since I already applied for citizenship. I, I couldn't leave the country until I yeah. got the answer, which Ooh. was six months. So I, I didn't well, see my daughter. Well, if you left, it would like voided it. And yes, you had to go back. And, yes. Okay. So I only saw my daughter when she was six months old, and dude, that was freaking. Tough. I bet. Yeah. And I wasn't locked up. That's a lot of growing to do in six months. I you know? know. Yeah, so that's uh, pretty much it on the ancestry and childhood. Okay. Uh, moving on to per- the first uh, instrument. This is what uh, I'm assuming listeners don't want or how it happened for Jimi Hendrix. Um at Horace Mann Elementary School in Seattle during the mid-1950s, Hendrix's habit of carrying a broom with him to emulate a guitar gained the, the attention of the school's social worker. So he was rocking a guitar, uh, not putting it under his legs like a witch, and so just going around. And he was going to school with a broom? Yeah. <laughs> the broom just rocking out, man. <laughs> That's weird. Um... After more than a year of his clinging to a broom like a security blanket, <laughs> she wrote a letter requesting school funding intended for underprivileged children, insisting that leaving him without a guitar might result in psychological damage. Her efforts fail, and Al refused to buy him a guitar. So father refused to buy him a guitar, and the nurse uh, generously asked for funding to get him a guitar. So kudos to the nurse. Um, that's awesome. In 1957, while helping his father with a side job, Hendrix uh, found a ukulele amongst the garbage uh, that they were removing from the older woman's home. She told him that he could keep the instrument, which had only one string. Uh, learning by ear, Damn. he played single notes, uh, following along to Elvis Presley songs, particularly Pres- Presley's cover of Lieber and Stoller's Hound Dog. Ukulele. Ukulele, yeah. 
That's a like a Hawaiian thing. Like that's crazy. Uh, by the age of thirty three, Hendrix's mother, Lucille, had developed cirrhosis of the liver, um, generally from drinking. And on February second, nineteen fifty eight, she died when her spleen ruptured. Mm-hmm. Al refused to take James and uh, Leon to attend their mother's funeral. Uh, he insisted. Oh. He instead gave them shots of whiskey and instructed them that this was how men were supposed to deal with loss. In 1958, Hendrix completed his studies at Washington Junior High School and began attending, but did not graduate from Garfield High School. In mid-1958, at age of 15... He went from one high school to another high yeah, school? Yeah, and still didn't graduate. No. At the age of 15, Hendrix acquired his first acoustic guitar for $5. He earnestly applied himself, playing the instrument for several hours daily, watching others and getting tips from more experienced guitars, and listening to the blues artists such as Muddy Waters, B.B. King, Howlin' Wolf, and Robert Johnson. For the first, uh, the first tune Hendrix learned how to play was Peter Gunn, the theme from the television series of the same name. So, I want to know. Who taught him? Who were the more experienced guitarists that he listened or not listened, but uh, learned from in person? Like that guy would be monumental. Like, yeah, I taught Jimi Hendrix everything he knows. Like, do they believe him whenever they said that? The person walked around. I taught him how to play guitar. Like, I don't know. That's crazy. All right. Uh, soon after he acquired the acoustic guitar, Hendrix formed his first band, the Velvetones. Uh, without an electric guitar, he could barely be heard over the sound of the group. After about three months, he realized that he needed an electric guitar in order to continue. In mid-1959, his father relented finally and bought him a white Supro Ozark. Hendrix's first gig was with an unnamed band in the basement of a synagogue, Seattle's Temple uh, de Hirsch. But after too much showing off, the band fired him in between sets. So he was ah. bust- <laughs> he was busting out solos. It's awesome. You're fired, man. You're, you're overshadowing the band. You're fired. Hey, step into my office. You're supposed to say why. Why? Because you're fucking fired. That's from a movie. Um, all right. So the band fired Jimi Hendrix. To be known as the band that fired Jimi Hendrix, I bet they were completely super embarrassed and pissed after he got famous. But again... What if they didn't fire Would him? Would he become famous? Yeah, I know. Oh, everything would have gone to hell. I don't know. All right. He later joined the Rocking Kings, which played professionally at venues such as the Birdland Club. Uh, when someone stole his guitar after he left backstage overnight, Al bought him a red silver tone in electro. So his father was maybe beginning to see his talent and... And was giving in. So was the silver toned electro better than the Supra Ozark? I'm not sure. I'm not a guitarist. I've never heard of any of these brands. I have not either. Um, yeah. So basically, he started off by uh, a ukulele, and then moved on to an acoustic guitar, and then moved on to an electric guitar. Uh, that's. Crazy. That, that, that's, a, that's a very interesting story. Um, let's see. The Jimi Hendrix Experience, that was one of the, the albums he put out. Let's see if we can find anything else that is uh, highly interesting to read off to you listeners. Breakup of the Experience, Woodstock. Let's, let's read that one, Victor, and then I think we'll wrap up the All right, Jason. Yeah. 
Woodstock. So by 1969, Hendrix uh, was the world's highest paid rock musician. Damn! That's, that's pretty badass to do in only four years' time. I mean, that wasn't even four years in, probably. You know, that's probably, probably only two or three. But Yeah. Yeah. So in August, he headlined the Woodstock Music and Art Fair. That's what it was called, Music and Art Fair? Yeah. Yeah. I did not know. I had all genres of music and stuff. It's pretty neat. That included many of the most popular bands of the time. Uh, for the concert, he added rhythm guitarist Larry Lee and conga players Juna Sultan and Jerry Velez. Velez. The bands rehearsed for less than two weeks before the performance. Really? Uh, and according to Mitchell, yeah. uh, never connected musically. <laughs> <laughs> it is awesome. They weren't even like... Like, whatever. <laughs> Before arriving at the engagement, um, he heard reports that the size of the audience had grown to epic pro- proportions, which gave him cause for concern, as he did not enjoy performing for large crowds. Oh, wow. He was an important draw for the event, and although he accepted substantially less money for the appearance than his usual fee, he was the fe- uh, festival's highest paid performer. And that's like less than what he normally got paid. Jesus. Why would you get less paid for one of the biggest shows on the planet? I don't know how that worked out, but still, he got paid more than anybody else at the event. And how that, much was this guy paid? I don't know. Well, at that time, I wonder if it's... It was still quite a bit. Yeah, for that time, because different inflation yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so... Uh, as uh, he scheduled the time slot of midnight on Sunday drew closer, he indicated that he preferred to wait and close the show in the morning. Uh-huh. The band took the stage at 8 a.m. on Monday. So there's... Okay, That's hold on. fucking weird. <laughs> so Woodstock went on. All these people are out there. They got camping stuff. Uh, he's like, uh, you know what, guys? It's, it's a little too late. So uh, you guys just go get drunk. Go get high. And we'll be on stage at 8 o'clock in the morning. How does that work? Could you imagine, like, playing at 8 a.m.? <laughs> that would fucking suck. Just wow. wake up. We're gonna go, okay, now let's go play. I don't understand that. That's, That's like crazy. no atmosphere, no that nothing. Would, that would never happen nowadays. <laughs> nowadays, that would never happen. Okay. Okay, up to Emo Monday. By the time of their set, Hendrix has been awake for more than three days. Hey, you know, I was once awake at the, in Romania, there was a a festival in Buzo. Buzo. And I didn't sleep for three freaking nights. Why? (laughs) Three days and three nights. And I freaking collapsed. I don't even remember. Were you just like (laughs) uh, energized, just motivated, pumped up? What? I was just, I don't know. We're just like goofing around. We're having fun. We played, I think, the second night. So already yeah. after a day, a night, and another day of not yeah. sleeping. So could you imagine how stellar my performance was? Wow. Uh, and that was not due to drugs, listeners. Just yes, throwing it out no, there. No. Yeah, especially in Romania at that yes. time, even if you wanted to do drugs, they were not Just around. being young, dumb, and probably at that time there's no inner drinks. I'm full of coffee. Actually. Yes. Huh. Uh, so uh, it was a lot of fun. But again, on the third night, yeah, I just collapsed. <laughs> I don't know out. why. I'm just out as a huh. candle. Anyway, so see, I'm having the Jimi Hendrix experience yeah, too. Yeah, right now. You're relating. All right, so the audience, which uh, peaked at an estimated 400,000. Jesus, imagine that. Was not reduced by 
was now reduced by 30, 40,000, many of whom have walled to catch the glimpse of Hedris before leaving during his performance. The first, the festival MC, uh Chip Monk, introduced the group as Jimi Hendrix experience, but Hendrix clarified with Sandy to change the whole thing around and call it Gypsy Sun and Rainbows. For short, it's nothing but the band of gypsies. What the hell? <laughs> so he changed the name of the band right in the middle of the set or right before the set. Wow. That's... This guy was off his rocker. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Um, Hendrix's, Hendrix's performance featured a rendition of the U.S. National Anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, during which he... Use copious amounts of amplifier feedback. There you go. Distortion. Copious amounts. Yeah. Uh, amplifier feedback distortion and to s- sustain to replicate the sounds made by rockets and bombs. That's kind of cool. Okay. Although uh, contemporary political pundits described his interpretation as a statement against the Vietnam War, three weeks later, Hendrix explained its meanings. Its meaning. We're all Americans. It was like... Go America. We play it in a way uh, the air is in America today. Uh, the air is slightly static. See, immortalized uh, in the 1970 documentary film Woodstock, his guitar-driven version would become part of the 60s Zeitgeist. 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 Uh, pop critic Al Aronowitz of the New York Post wrote, It was the most electrifying moment of Woodstock. And it was probably the single greatest moment of the 60s. Imagine our images of the performance showing Hendrix wearing a blue beaded uh, white leather jacket with fringe, uh, a redhead redhead scarf, um, and blue jeans are widely regarded as iconic pictures that capture a defining moment of the era. He played Hey Joe uh, during the encore, concluding a three and a half day festival upon leaving the stage. He collapsed from exhaustion. In 2011, the editors of Guitar World uh, placed a rendition of the Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock at number one in their list of 100 greatest performances. So that's the saga of Jimi Hendrix. He captured people's uh, imagination of what rock music could be, and he just inspired people. So that's that, that's Jimi like- Hendrix. I mean, just like you. Huh? Just like you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I capture people's imaginations and I inspire people. So come to Tyrant Sun's show. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's, that's pretty much it, uh, listeners. So uh, to our request uh, for shining more light on Jimi Hendrix, <clears throat> I've got to say it's, it's, it's opened me up a little bit more to what Jimi Hendrix was and what his... But you didn't talk at all about the conspiracy theories around his death. I... <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. Okay, no, we'll, we'll wait ten more years. Yeah, um, I I think Jimi Hendrix um, was pretty inspirational, and I I understand now why he meant so much to people, and just especially the, the statements of the Star Spangled Banner towards the war and stuff. So that probably uh, hoisted him up a lot more. Just that statement right there. He he had the balls to do it, you know, and. And the 400,000 people he played for, that kind of helped, you know, just he was by far an American 
icon or a worldwide icon, uh, should I say. So at least American and the UK. Yes. Yes. Worldwide. So, uh, yes to Jimi Hendrix and I've got, that was amazing. So anything you want to closing notes on Jimmy? Yimmy? Nope. Okay. Da, da, da. On to news, Victor. On Our to news. first news topic. There you go. Okay, I'll let you have this one. Okay. <clears throat> we are on to our news segment of the week. This one is exciting. Um, Otep says moronic bimbos, butcher babies, hate her because she didn't do coke with them after their shows together. All right, what do you know of Butcher Babies or... Would you do coke with Butcher Babies if they asked you to? After a show No, I would not do coke for one because I don't do coke. I don't do drugs. Um, so I would probably say no too. But Really? Yeah, I would. Uh, for Butcher Babies to, to ask such an iconic uh, female lead singer as Otep or the band in general and then get mad about it, I do not agree. But did it really happen? We don't know. We're going to read the article real quick. Okay. <laughs> Otep was recently a guest on the Jamie Josta podcast. <clears throat> Why don't you have her <clears throat> a guest on our podcast? I will reach out. Jesus. And to say she didn't hold anything back seems like quite the understatement. I didn't know this until today when the PRP pointed it out. Uh, but apparently... Perp. Huh? The perp? Perp. Uh... Uh, let's see. But apparently Otep and Butcher Babies have had a long-running feud. I thought they were friends stemming from Otep taking Butcher Babies out on a tour a few, few years ago. But I guess that's where things started to going sour. On their last album, Butcher Babies wrote a song called Dead Poet. And it's clear to see from some of the lyrics that this song is about Otep. I'm going to read the lyrics for you real quick. Uh, she likens herself... As to one of the greats, but if you look in her eyes, all you see is hate. She screams her insecurities and the fullest things she thinks. She's just a broken toy in the land of make-believe. How is that Otep? Oh, well, how could they... People just say, oh yeah, that's definitely about Otep. I mean, she... They put she, I can see a little bit, but no. Wait, that that just <laughs> only narrows it down to about half of the world population. <laughs> <clears throat> I guess so. Uh, but maybe the feud going on at the moment and then the, the CD release, yeah, I can see where people would, okay. would point the finger at it. Okay, those aren't exactly flattering lyrics, and Otep took issue with it, telling Josta. Um, there's a band that's headed... Uh, it's a little tiny band that's fronted by a couple of fucking moronic bimbos that one of them, if I see her, I'm going to give her the option of like, do you want your jaw broken or your ribs broken? Just let me know uh, which your sugar daddy can fix easier. Wow. That's a pretty harsh statement. And that was said publicly on a podcast. I want to get her on a podcast. I want to get her on the podcast. I'm going to reach out. You want to get more hateful shit? <laughs> no, I'm just going to reach out to her and see if she'll do our podcast. That's awesome. You know what you should do? What? Secretly invite both Butcher Babies and her on the and podcast. Have Don't on tell Skype. anyone. Have them on a Skype interview together. And just like, dang, there you go. Ooh. <laughs> Fight it out. That's going to be uh, some clickbait right there. 
Wow. <laughs> okay, we're not going to do that. We're just going to get OTEP on. Okay. So I'm giving you all the good ideas. I hear you. Okay. Uh, later in the interview, OTEP elaborated on the Sugar Daddy comment stating that Heidi Shepard got some fucking, like, grandpa lawyer something, some high-powered lawyer in Los Angeles who pays for all her plastic surgery and shit like that. Uh, when Josta interjected to say that that was info was alleged and not confirmed, OTEP reported, no, it's true. You can say allegedly to protect your podcast, but that shit's true. Damn. Why do people use like so much? It's like this and like that. And, and like this and like that. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's just uh, it's it's more a weird American way. slang, I guess. Anyway. Okay, OTEP seems to think the cause of the beef is because she didn't hang out with the band after the shows together because she is not a fan of cocaine. Uh, I think mm-hmm. this is quoted uh, from OTEP right here. Honestly, they wrote a song about me called Dead Poet. All this crazy shit. Uh, because I didn't know anything about it either. It wasn't until they started talking shit about me on YouTube. I was like, what? Uh, I really thought I was nice to them. I gave them, uh, I shared dressing rooms with them, stuff like that, like a lot of headliners do. Um, A lot of headliners treat their opening acts like dirt. True. Um, I try to set the example, like one day you're going to be a headliner, be nice to your opening acts. I thought I was being real nice to them, but then apparently they were just like mouthing, 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 talking shit. Calling me a see you next Tuesday and all of this stuff. The uh, hell did that mean? Cut. See you next Tuesday. <laughs> oh. I was trying to keep that word out of the podcast. Thank you. Um, it's not like the first time I've been called a see you next Tuesday. Um, <laughs> but I feel like when you've been nice to somebody and then they just turn around and <clears throat> I don't know if she was just trying to start beef or they get more attention or whatever. Publicity. Um, I can see where that would be it. Um, I don't know. You're the first person I've ever really told about it outside of my private circles. I saw her at Knotfest because we played Knotfest. I saw her at Knotfest and I was like, yo, Heidi, I'm right here. And she just like ran away as fast as she could. Did she run away or did she like run away? I don't know. One of them. Uh, she don't want She don't want this, bro. The least thing I wrote is pretty intimidating. Um, like fucking throwing a tiger a piece of meat. Okay. This is going to end it and we'll talk about it. It looks like this can of worms is officially open. It will be curious to see how butcher babies respond. If at all. The rest of the interview has Otep's opinions on a few guys she's not too fond of. Uh, Phil Labonte, Donald Trump, and <laughs> Milo Yenaslahalis. I don't know how to say that. Monopolis, uh, but it's. I'm actually probably weird. gonna listen to this episode of uh, that dude right there. Uh, whenever I get home, I want to listen to that episode. You can find the episode, uh, episode two twenty eight, with Otape Shamaya on the Josta Show podcast. So, Josta Show, thank us for name dropping your ass. Okay, uh, what do you think about that? What are your What are your? Too much drama, man. No, it's not. I think it's it's intriguing because. I kind of respect where Otep's coming from, saying no to the drugs, cool for you, um, but at the same time, like, it sounds to me like butcher babies are, are kind of got their noses up in the air, literally, uh, but think about it, I, I, I played with butcher babies in Phoenix, Arizona, and did you share a dressing room? 
No, we did not. <laughs> no, we did not. Uh, they would barely See, talk. To, they would barely talk to anybody. You know. Well, apparently they talked to Odette. No, I. Well, that's a headliner right there. So. I could see where Otep's come from. They, I, it's a little bit confirmed because they treated people like dirt whenever I play with them. So there won't be the last or the first freaking rock stars to treat people like dirt. I'm not. We had a full episode over that. <laughs> but don't you see a little bit where Otep's coming from? Like stated from her to be fact that she said, "Yo, Heidi." She just turned around and fucking took off like a little girl running. Like, was scared of her. So, I don't know. That's, uh... I have no comment. <laughs> yeah, I hear ya. <laughs> uh, I, I Although, a cat fight would be interesting. It would be interesting. But, <laughs> Otep, I got your back. Uh, I really do. I've liked your music for a long time, so I got your back uh, over Witcher Babies. So, hope we don't get any hate email, emails for this. All right, uh, moving on <laughs> to the next one. Okay. All right. Um, As I lay dying. Did you hear about that? What? He got released from prison. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Victor. So, um, Team Lambesis. Uh, of As I Lay Dying is released from prison after serving less than half of the sentence. Uh, the, what was the sentence for? I, yeah, it'll probably say it. I'm pretty sure our listeners already know, but if they're... It was, uh, from what I remember, it was like conspiracy to commit murder or something. Yes. He wanted John's his wife, wife dead. He hired a hitman, which was an undercover cop, to murder his wife. Why would you do that if you're famous? That's why, if you want to murder your wife, you have to do it yourself. I guess so. <laughs> Just joking. Just joking. Uh, but no, I remember when that <laughs> happened, um, As I Lie Dying, and then he also had his side brand, Austrian Death Machine, which was fucking amazing. It was all metal songs of Arnold Schwarzenegger quotes. See, he didn't get to the chopper in time. I guess not. And they, they caught him. He tried to get to the chopper with his wife. <laughs> all right, so frontman Tim Plambesis has been released from prison after serving less than half of his six-year sentence for a conspiracy to commit murder. Huh. Lambesis was discharged from the California detention facility on December 17th and was transferred to the Division of Adult Parole Operations. He still won't be able to go on tour for quite some time. He won't be able to leave the state, you know? But he can play in the state. I guess so. It's in California, so... Yeah, it's a big state. There's enough uh, places to, to play <laughs> over there. Uh, the news of team release uh, surfaced earlier today. Um... After Blabbermouth.net posted an interview with former Dokken uh, Axeman, uh, George Lynch. Axeman they refer to as being the guitarist. Right? I do believe, yes. But what always confused me is the Axeman could just as well be the bassist. Yeah, it, it could be a bass too. Like, so it's, it's it could guitar. be three people in yeah, a band. Could be. One it's a very non-descriptive term. Yes, it is. Anyway, um, uh, from the Monsters of Rock cruise, why don't we play a cruise? I want to freaking play a cruise. I do too, yeah. Monsters of Rock cruise. In which the guitarist whose daughter was once engaged to, as I like dying, Nick Hipa, huh. discussed his relationship with Van Lambesis. He just got out of jail for attempting to kiss his wife, George Kill. said uh, during the chat. Uh, he's got a mega record deal. Man. He's got a book deal, of course. <laughs> Let's do something like that. 
everything's lined up for him. I mean, he's going to skate through life. So after going to prison for trying to kill his wife, it, he's mm-hmm. set up because yeah. It, yeah. it was publicity. Yeah. Huh. Everybody else is suffering. His wife is living in fear. His children are living in fear. I didn't want to kill his children. No, still. <laughs> don't do that to mommy. <laughs> I'm joking. Back in May 2014, Lambesis had uh, given a six-year prison sentence without a probation. So why did they probate him? Without probation for his... For his role and... Uh... I don't know. <clears throat> Again, why would you so... He hired a hitman who was an actual and undercover police officer with $1,000 cash. That's what the a hell? lot of money. What the hell? What the hell? $1,000. <laughs> <coughs> wow, that's uh, whenever she found that out. Like, is that all I'm worth? Really, <laughs> really? He really went cheapo. On, it, it, uh, it says he gave the the wife's address to the cop and, and the gate security, security codes. Code, yes. Wow. Uh, Lambesi spent 30, 24 jails in local twenty four days in local jail, um, and given credit at sentencing for forty eight <laughs> after his initial arrest before he paid one hundred and sixty thousand dollars in fines. To the bondsman uh, who posted his $2 million bail. Wow. The single was on house arrest at his parents' home in Del Mar, California, wearing a GPS monitor from June 2013 until his sentencing in May 2014. So he was out while he was getting sentenced and stuff. The bondsman well, posted... Well, under house arrest. Yeah, but still, like, he yeah. was still eating steaks and shit like that. And he paid a bondsman. Like, the bondsman had a lot of fucking... How do you know he's been eating steaks? Maybe he's a vegetarian. You know what I mean. <laughs> it's a figure of speech. Like, he's he was a vegan. Well, but Maybe he's a raw vegan. Even worse. Fuck your couch. <laughs> Basically, he paid the bondsman, though. Like, I'm, what I'm saying is that bondsman had a lot of trust, you know? Pay $160,000 to get someone out of jail that just tried to murder his wife? Mm-hmm. And depending, he either had a lot of trust or he had a lot of muscle. I guess. <laughs> All right. Or attitude adjusters. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> he probably made a pretty penny off it too. So Lambesis said that he wasn't allowed to visit his kids. He wasn't allowed to see his kids. He wasn't allowed to take his kids out of the state or go on tour with him. And that, that angered him. And uh, the undercover officer testified. And the fact that his wife was going to get a large portion, up to 60% of his income. Jesus! 60%? Not oh one. my God! Why not 50? Why not a half and a half? Why is the wife entitled to an extra 10% when he made all the money? Because she got the kiddies. Oh, that pisses me off. <coughs> Sorry. <See? laughs> I think it should be half and half. I think it should be straight down the middle. Why? It takes two. It takes Why? two. I just, well, isn't she working? Then he should get her. You're on my side too. Stop well. trying to make our listeners think that you're on the woman's side. No, you think it should be 50 50 too. No, no, I'm not on the woman's side. I'm saying, why isn't she paying him half of her salary too? Because well, she, she didn't make a damn salary at all. That's why I think it's bullshit. I don't think she did anyway. I don't think it should be 50 50 <clears throat> if I'm married with someone yeah. and then we divorce. Uh huh. Why is she entitled for the remainder of her life of half of my freaking stuff? I don't know. I do not know. I she should know. just start working then. Yes. Uh, how about that? I mean, I understand splitting the house. <clears throat> okay, even, yeah, I understand not that. Really. Not even really. 
If the, the male paid for the whole house. Well, it, it depends. If if you had the house from before you were married, then that should be yours for sure. Not if even you, then. If you bought it in the marriage. If you bought I it could, in the marriage, but it was all your money. Yeah, but you have to prove that. You can. I got the receipt of that shit. Okay. Uh, yeah, whatever. But I'm just still. kidding. Still, even yeah. in circumstances like that. Yeah. If you bought a whole house, and if you have the receipt, nine times out of ten, it's given to the woman. Fully, outright. Yeah. Uh, this is this is stuff is like f- for example like uh, I was reading in Sweden, you have to pay the woman uh, enough money for her to survive for two weeks after you get divorced and then that's it. Okay. Ding, and just to, just to clarify on this podcast <laughs> so we don't get a lot of women calling in and hating us or emailing us, I <laughs> agree with women to an extent. Um, I think it should be equal. That's all. I think. I think if the woman didn't pay for a single thing during the marriage because the the husband was working and busting his ass, uh, so on and so forth, I think even at that point she should still be entitled to some, but to just, some. just but not if, to the extent were, of look, giving her the whole house or giving her if you 60%. Were able, if you were able to just sit at home and not work during the marriage, after the marriage ends, especially you don't know who... Said I want a divorce. Yes. Because right now it doesn't matter. If if your wife wants a divorce, for no reason. Yes. She still gets half of your stuff. Well, a lot of people are going to say and fight this and say that, well, she birthed your children and she was a stay-at-home mom, which is the hardest job in the world. Yes, I agree. And I think it's amazing that they do that. I think All it... Right. But still, I, I half and half, straight down the middle. You guys both got into the marriage together. You guys both decided to have children together. It wasn't. I, it should be half and half. It was still. There's, Even there's that the is problem. I was married, it. and while I was married, I was making a million dollars a year. Uh huh. And so she has to get five hundred thousand a year. Then suddenly, two years down, I don't make a million a year. I yeah. make a hundred thousand a year. Yeah. She still needs to take five hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. Even though I don't make that money. I think anymore. there are some things in the justice system when it comes to divorce that are not right. Uh, but it's still at the same time. I, I agree from the woman's standpoint too. Just saying, uh, I think it should be halfway down the middle. I think it should be half and half. I like the Swedish model. Continue. <laughs> Personally, which is the same for a woman. If the woman is super rich and I'm married to her, I don't believe that I should then have a life of luxury and leisure just because I was married for a it year to, work to that some it generally to goes Oprah Winfrey. It, if I get married tomorrow with Oprah Winfrey. I don't think I'm entitled to half of all the money she's making. Yeah. I mean, really? It, Come on. Yeah, if it's the other way around. It generally doesn't get a warrant to that. It's ah, Sorry. It so there you go. Double standard. Yes, I know. All right. <clears throat> anyway. So, um, uh, two weeks before his sentencing, Lambasis gave an interview to a probation officer who then re- uh, prepared a report which included the following quotes for Tim. It's not a day that goes by that I don't wish I could do undo this. Uh-huh. Okay, I apologize to Megan. Um, uh, it does not seem to be enough to make up to her. I don't have any animosity towards her, and I have deep remorse. So boo hoo hoo. Yeah, of course he's sorry because he got caught. But we have a difficult. We had a difficult separation. I was trying to fight for my kids. This is another thing with the with the kids thing. In so many instances, 
the woman gets full custody and then denies you the ability to even see your children. Very true. We probably shouldn't open this can of worms. Yeah. And now, look, I would understand if, uh, you know, you're dealing with a criminal, you're dealing with a freaking drug addict or whatever. Yeah. But if he's a regular guy, I to me it seems inhuman that you would not let him see the, the, the kids. Half and half, yeah. All right. Anyway, so I was uh, yeah, I was in a different mindset due to the separation and custody experience, uh, and my uh, and my mind was altered due to the steroid use. Okay. Yeah. My steroid use was affecting many decisions in my life. I am not at risk. Uh, I'm no risk to to her, Megan, in the slightest way. Well, <laughs> kind of tried to kill her. <laughs> But that's okay. I mean, I feel bad. Blame it on the drugs. <laughs> if you look at the majority of my life, uh, this was out of character for me. I don't. I don't have a history of violence. Well, you don't have a history of violence now either. You paid somewhere else to do the yeah, violence. To have a history of violence, <laughs> you have a history of sociopathy. I've never been an angry person. But given the potential of my future, I feel that I can um, be an asset to others if I'm allowed to remain in the community. Uh, Lambes is in 2015 filed a law filed a law lawsuit against the California medical team alleging that he was not given a prescribed medication for nearly two months prior to his incarceration, resulting in him developing gynecomastasia. What the hell? <laughs> Enlarged breasts. He grew titties. He grew titties, and so he's trying to sue California. And public record showed that his lawsuit was dismissed in October 2016 with prejudice, possibly because the parties had reached a settlement agreement. Wow, so he got paid. Oh, shit. Wow. He grew titties. I wish there were some leaked photos of that. <laughs> really? <laughs> that, that, just to laugh. That's fucking <coughs> hilarious. Oh, that's and, awesome. uh, and people are saying he's set for life. Like... He probably got a settlement at that, but I, I don't see people listening to his music anymore. Like, I don't. Okay, moving on. <clears throat> uh, disturbed. Comments on Stagehand's death. This horrible tragedy is almost too much to bear. So, yeah, that that's kind of cool that they're shining light on the Stagehands. Okay, a Stagehand working the event Sevenfold Disturbed in Chevelle show in Stuttgart. Stuttgart. Uh, Stuttgart, uh, Germany last night. Um, was killed after another crewman fell on top of him while trying to take down the front lighting truss. The 26-year-old crewman that fell on top of the 19-year-old is still alive and in critical condition. The accident occurred when the local crew was working to break down the and, and load a Vince Sevenfold set. Disturbed has released the following statement regarding the incident. The horror and heartbreak felt by everyone on the tour is beyond words. Our deepest condolences go out to the poor 19-year-old's family, and our best wishes for his speedy recovery go out to the surviving crew member that fell. We love and cherish all those dedicated crew members that are responsible for making the show happen day in and day out. And this horrible tragedy is almost too much to bear. We dedicate the rest of this tour to our fallen brothers. Life is precious and can end in an instant. Make every moment of yours count. Okay, so... The one who fell on top of the kid survived. Yeah, I think the kid below, because that's a long drop. It was probably a long drop. He would have had time to move. 
he was probably watching the ladder and the dude fell, and he was probably trying to catch him. So the dude below potentially could be a hero. It's possible. If I, if was I saw just, someone, I would try to break the ball. Maybe it was just like walking about and that guy just fell on him. It's possible, but I I see it as that's a long fall and he probably saw it happening and he was probably trying to break his fall, which I would do the same. I would try to do something to break the ball. Yeah, I would try to do something. So he could, potentially he could be a hero. I'm saying that to the family of the person who passed away. So yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. Condolences to you uh, <clears throat> for the loss of your uh, son. Um Jorg uh, Klofer, a spokesperson for the Schuyler Hall venue uh, where the concert was held, told uh, Bild, uh, we have never had a fatal accident since the opening of the Schuyler Hall in 1983. It was a terrible, tragic event. We mourn with the family and friends of the young man. It is not clear why the 26-year-old fell from the height of about 20 Holy meters. That's crap. it. What that's do you mean not that's too far. I mean, that's not too far. Twenty feet. Twenty meters. Yeah, it's a little feet. bit more. I, I get it, but it's not. It's like two and a half feet per meter. I think. So it's probably it's 30, like, 30 feet. No, it's like fifty some feet. Yeah. Okay. Fifty feet. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's pretty high. So they're probably at the top of the lights, way up there. Yeah. Okay. Fifty feet. I get that now. Um, uh, it's not uh, clear that 26-year-old fell from a height of about 20 meters onto his colleague. Police officer uh, Stefan Weidman said an expert will try to reconstruct the accident. Event Sevenfold, Disturbed, and Chevelle were scheduled to perform in Milan, Italy on Tuesday, uh, but that show has been called off. The band's Italian concert promoter, uh, Live Nation Italy, released a statement blaming the cancellation on the illness of Event singer uh, M. Shadows. Huh. So, um, there's not much more to be said uh, other than condolences to both of the families for the, the, the young men who were uh, in this accident, uh, especially the one who lost his life. So 19-year-old, man. 19, yeah. He was living yeah. his life probably being a stagehand for Sturb, Chappelle, and Vince Hemfold. So, I, I, my heart goes out to the families. Uh, yeah. So, moving on. Right, guys, now, now time for our interview of the week. Yeah! Uh, we have something special for you this uh, week. We have uh, a band called Source. Yes. Uh, we had a blast uh, with, them. with them. Yes. Yeah, with them, yep. So, <clears throat> uh, just a few tidbits about Source. They were formed in 2013 by Ben Gleason, Dan Crisafuli. Sorry, dude. Yeah. <laughs> if I mispronounce your name. butchered it. And the one and only George Octobus. Yes. Uh, which is the Mr. Drummer. Yes, he's a drummer. <clears throat> I think you got a chance to personally hang out with him yeah. for quite a while. Yeah. In fact, I helped him set up uh, the drum set and uh, uh, did a, a little uh, bit of uh, audio test so he could listen from the uh, from the public to see okay, if cool. the thing was... Uh, so, really, really cool dude. Hi, George. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, so we had a chance to, yeah, as we said, to hang out in the, with them in Kansas City. They were awesome individuals. Yes, great group of guys, uh, for sure. And also really good musicians. Yeah. One thing that I enjoyed, I wanted to say this before we go to the interview. One thing I enjoyed about George is, uh, just like Marco Miniman, 
they're these drummers that when they play, mm-hmm. you see that they're having an absolute blast. Yeah, yeah. He looked <laughs> like he was having quite a quite <clears throat> fun on stage. And this is one of the things that I love. And especially I see that in some of the drummers. Like they're playing and it's almost like they turn into like a 10 year old kid. Yeah. They're always laughing and just having a freaking blast playing. Yep. And I, I, I enjoyed that uh, quite a bit. All on top of that is a really good drummer. So uh, we also got to him. hang out with the, uh, I got to hang out more with uh, Ben Gleason and uh, Dan Crisofuli. Mm-hmm. I've got to say those are uh, a great couple of guys right there. They're very fun to be around. Uh, very smart. Uh, so if you haven't yet, uh, make sure you look up the full uh, bio of uh, Source and uh, look look for their music on uh, YouTube, look for it on iTunes and what other Source that they're uh, released on. Source, get it? Okay. Ah. Uh, well, there's a little more, more tidbit there. <coughs> okay. Yeah, so um, uh, they're a progressive metal band um, and uh, apparently they write mu- music about the beauty of it all. Of it all. Of all that all, is. All the beauty. Of all that Nothing. is. Nothing. Yes. Nothing is left out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's it. No, I like right. I like Source, so... Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. Absolutely. As much as we enjoyed taking it. Yes, so, and um, hanging out with them and watching yeah. them perform live, so... Oh, but by the way, the interview is uh, split up in two different locations. Because <laughs> uh, a band started as we were mid-interview, so we so had to do we it had two to, cuts. We had to move uh, <laughs> to another place, but yes. uh, hope, hopefully that... Uh, you know the the interview content is more important than yeah. So if you if, <laughs> if, you, hear, if you hear a cut in the middle of it, it's because we were moving locations and going into yes. the green room. So uh, without the green hallway, without further ado, <laughs> source. Channel. I'm Tyson. I'm Victor. We are here with Source. How's it going, guys? Doing good. How are you guys? Hell yeah. Great. Dan, yeah. Ben, George. I fucking remember. Hell yeah. We're going to be doing a small interview here, which is going to be on iTunes, Google Play, um, along with a lot of other uh, podcast YouTube. apps. Uh, YouTube, yes, uh, Stitcher, etc. The list goes on. Tune in. We're gonna ask a few questions here, to these guys. How did the band, the, the name Source, come about? Um, source uh, is a word that kind of means a lot to me. Um, it sort of encompasses my beliefs about what life is about, and um, yeah, and what's. Um, yeah, it's just, I guess it's just really important to me um, as far as, like, understanding that um, everything has one source. Okay. And if you look at, you know, your experience or this table or whatever it is that you're yeah, observing, yeah. there's a source to that. There has to be. It didn't just come out of nowhere. And even if it came out of nowhere, there's still a source for experiences, right? Yeah. So, for me, having a relationship with just knowing that everything comes from one place and that myself and you and this fucking table and all of that all is connected in some way shape or form has been sort of a huge inspirational uh, huge musical inspiration for me Um, and um, you know so my 
biggest way that I understand that is through using flotation tanks. Uh, if you know about those isolation tanks, sensory deprivation tanks. Oh, yeah. Are you um, kidding me? Um, I have to bring it up, sorry. Because. Uh, we just did, um, I do paranormal investigation. Uh, oh, cool. We're in one of the biggest ones here in Kansas City, Midcontinent Paranormal. Cool. We put on the Kansas City Paracon here, but uh, Malvern Manor in Iowa, uh, Ghost Adventures just went there, a bunch of other groups, and my buddy owns it, so I get to go there for free. And they just did uh, a movie there, uh, Sensory Deprivation, yeah. to see how uh, people would experience paranormal if their eyes were blindfolded with their ears and stuff. And yep. the, the results they got were amazing. Like, cool. uh, they blindfolded them in one of the most haunted rooms there, and a lot more shit was heard. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. just crazy. The sen sensory deprivation and stuff, I love just the, the whole theory and the hypothesis they have and all that stuff so yeah and I think what's cool about it is it gives you kind of this blank slate um, to be like here's about as close to nothing as you can get yeah um, and from that just even even spending any time there like you get to know your mind so well um, that you sort of, uh, for me, it's like, like the, a type of meditation. It's it's forced meditation. It's yeah. like it's in, in a in the nicest kind of way. But like you can't not meditate while you're in there. Which some people might be like, oh, like I'm a bad meditator. Yeah. And then you go in the float tank, and there's no way that you could do it wrong because there's nothing to do. You know, even if you're in there like splashing around and stuff, yeah. it's still you with yourself. And that's to me what meditation's about. And that's where where most of my artistic inspiration comes from is having this experience of to me like returning to the source of you know of everything feeling nothingness feeling the blank slate and then remanifesting myself on a regular basis it's such a such an inspirational experience i get out of the tank and i'll just pick up my guitar and write 10 minute songs awesome. yeah have you ever thought about doing the sensory deprivation in a paranormal place uh, I have not, you know, you might, like, and it's one of those might be, like a little bit less, you know, and you might experience something that you yeah, most definitely may have not experienced before, you know. Definitely, yeah, it'd be fun, fun you know experiment for now? sure. Uh, Aaron Nordstrom from Gemini Central. Aaron? Yeah, just the way you, <laughs> the way you, <laughs> the way he looks. <laughs> no, not the way the way you talk. Uh, just, just smart, the way you carry yourself. No, thank you. you know, uh, Thank you. Cool. No, he was a great guy. We interviewed him as well, right here in the spot. So that's cool. Awesome. So yeah, and then uh, on this album, there's a there's a track called "The Word Source," okay, uh, which is uh, teacher Bentinho Massaro, um, who has some really interesting things to say. Um, but there was this podcast of his that I was listening to for a while, and there's this one piece where he goes into the word source, and he's like, let's just talk about the word source for a oh, second. Awesome. That word can be such a huge doorway into understanding infinity, life, all this existential stuff that people seem to struggle with. Why, like, what are we doing here? What's the purpose of life? All that. Yeah. Um, and I think... You know, listening to that over and over again was was huge in me picking the name for this band. And then we took a sample of it and put it on the album. And it's, you know, just the, that, you know, 30, 45 second piece of like basically just asking yourself, what is the source of my present experience? Yeah. That, that, you know, process is so beneficial for me. And I think just being able to like even put that idea of that into people's minds across the country, across the world, awesome. is something that I, I, I really treasure. It's like so. your dream's coming true, you know, you're getting to talk to people and influence them and exactly. inspire them. And yeah, spread the inspiration that I have yeah. through Dude, through amazing. the way that I become inspired, you know, it's pretty it's like cool. like one of the great answers that we rarely get, you know. So. 
Next question, sir. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know you were entranced <laughs> by this motherfucker. I do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did you guys form? Yes, how did the band come together, each member? So, Dan and I met at my float center. He came into float one day, and we started talking about music. And the center Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. So, you yeah. did that as well. Yeah, I haven't done it in a couple years. Uh, yes, I, I, I've done I like it a couple it. times. Yeah. Yes. I have not done that this, yet. Uh, so. This guy is pretty much floating. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of like on that, that show, the movie, or Minority Report, where the chicks are floating in the water. Oh, right. Yeah, wow. I forgot about that. Yeah. That's trippy. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. Is that's what makes it too, though. Everyone's in the pod floating. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the one in uh, in Minority Report's a little bit more like a float tank, but they're like connected together, right? Yeah, the two girls. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, Battlestar Galactica too. Okay. The the the, the things controlling the uh, spaceships. Fringe. Also did it. Yeah, they I've have they have float tanks in, in there. there yeah. That, that chick got and in Stranger there. Things and The Simpsons and uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. Dennis discovers that the entire universe is so a turtle is floating through space. Than, uh, <laughs> what people rarely know about it. And I bet you after this interview, we're gonna go around. I mean, Victor's gonna fucking see this shit everywhere. It's just like yeah. And there's places to float in Kansas City, most definitely. You know, uh, I think there's some nice places. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think there's some nice places to float in Kansas City. So. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm going to talk to you about that afterwards. That's crazy. Yeah. All right, so how did the band get together? Uh, you met so, Dan here. Yep, and then we got to talking about music, and I was like, you know, I really need to find a bass player because I've been trying to put this. I've been trying to put this project together for like four years. Okay. My last band broke up because everybody decided to move in with their parents after college. So, um, I uh, I was trying to find the right people, and in Colorado, everybody wants to play hippie jam band stuff. Okay. So I, I don't really want to play why. that. I wonder why. I'm wondering yeah, why. Yeah. Well, cannabis inspires more than just that in some people. So. Um, so, um, I was talking to Dan, I was like, yeah, I really need a bass player, and, uh, and he's like, I'll play bass, and apparently you hadn't played bass in how long? Yeah, I put the bass down for two or three years. Did, to, yeah, did it to, come back to you? Yeah, yeah, pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah, he was playing my really crappy five string that I had, yeah. and then he decided to get a really nice bass, oh, yeah, and yeah. then we all had to get really nice instruments. Warwick basses, so I'm endorsed with now. That's my dream bass, throughout okay. Germany. Uh, gorgeous bases. Yeah. What and you, you got Warwick. Warwick. Warwick, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah and like Warwick, Germany, is that right? Is that a place? Is that a place? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> you don't know, Mr. Europe. Do I know every place in Germany? I know every place in the United States. You know every place in Oh, wait, are you from, are you German? He's from Romania. No, I'm from okay. Europe. He just moved here from Romania. He thinks if I'm from Europe, I should know everything about Europe. <laughs> he just moved here from Romania two years ago. Oh, nice. He's actually been on the cover of Metal Magazine two or three times there in his oh, bands. Really? Yeah. Cool. For European music. I'm saying so that. All I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> man, I'm boasting you, man. Anyway, uh, we snagged him up with Tyrant Sun, our band, here. Uh, where he got with Tyrant Sun, and I auditioned for them, so we're like making waves right now as Tyrant Sun, so. Cool. Maybe we'll get to play with you guys. Tonight. I like that name, Tyrant Sun. Tyrant Sun That's yeah. good shit. S-O-N or S-U-N? Uh, our entrance music is uh, Tyrant Sun, that uh, DC Comics. Oh, cool. Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. Thumbs nice. Up. We are the Tyrant Sun. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Very okay, cool. Okay, so when did you meet this guy? So George and I had been training at uh, Easton Training Center doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and That's he does awesome. he does uh, mixed martial arts. I just do I just do the grappling stuff, but he could knock me out really fast. I was a wrestler so. in high school and stuff. Um, all the way. You want to go school. after this? You want to go? So yeah, yeah. 
right now. That's it. No, um, <laughs> That's the interview. Is now my daughter you. wrestles. Uh, she's 12 years old, and she just cool. won nationals. Uh, Good for against, her. Against boys. Wow. And uh, that's coming from Oklahoma, and we did uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and, and stuff like that. Royce uh, Gracie, and then all his relatives, and his uh, granddaughter actually does it. Rose Gracie, I think is her name. Yeah. yeah. She lives in Boca Raton. I actually knocked on her door when I was doing door-to-door sales, but she's a badass, too. But oh. yeah, I trained a little bit of that stuff, Team KO in Arc City, Kansas. But it's fun. It teaches you a lot of discipline. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So George and I have been training together forever, but I never actually talked to him. Yeah. And Brad, our stage manager, monitor guy, um, started training with us more in Opeth shirt to to class once. And George was like, oh, I opened for those guys once. And he's like, really? What do you play? He's like, oh, I play drums. And Brad comes up to me, and Brad's like, oh, Ben, this guy plays drums, and he opened for Opeth. I said, what? That's crazy. I had no idea. He's been here for two years. I thought he was a hippie. He's got dreadlocks. Turns out he's a metalhead. So, That's uh, awesome. We're so trying he, to get Opeth's interview. They're coming to town with uh, Gojira and Devin oh, yeah. Townsend. Oh, yeah. We get to see that at Red Rocks, thank God. Nice, That's going to be amazing. Nice, uh, That's a nice show. Yeah. Nice show. Well, Devin Townsend's like one of his idols. Oh, my God. Yeah. I like Opeth. Yeah. <laughs> I love Opeth. Um, Devin Townsend's a monster. He's and Gojira yeah? is I see, I brutal. He's a insane mofo. Yeah. I love him. Yeah, he's a great guitar player, great singer songwriter. Yeah, I was trying really hard to get on that tour, and then they put Devin Townsend on. Probably. Yeah. Um, he's in the. He's like a lot of power. Yeah, I, I heard some on the way here. Um, <laughs> I hope that makes it on here. I really do. Oh, That's the best mic check I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I say curse words in Arabic. This guy talks uh, like a chicken. It's too loud. And we'll just cut. Okay. And then in between sets, like after they get done, the 15 minutes that we have, we'll finish the interview. Okay. Okay. If it gets too loud. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's how me and George met, and me and Dan have been playing some stuff together for a little bit. So George came in uh, to one of too, our practices. He was just learning guitar. Yeah, I, I don't so even we play. writing bass and piano songs. Yeah. It was strange. Yeah. It was him on the grand piano. Vocals. vocals and guitar, yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and so at that point, I'd only been playing guitar for four months or something like that. What would you guys genreize your band? Like, uh, prog metal. Prog metal, prog metal. Yeah. What uh, bands like? Tool is what everybody says. Everybody says Tool, so. Love it. So you got like a Maynard E type voice? Maynard E type voice, yeah. I'd say. Maynard E. You know, I've been reading his biography, and he has like no training in singing, and I kind of knew that. Um, but then, like reading his upbringing, he he played music when he was a kid, but it yeah. wasn't like his focus. And um, I grew up, you know, in choir, classically trained from a very early age. So I think the difference is that Maynard has this like raw, like just really raw sound. Where my voice is a little bit more like. Uh, not, it's just a little softer on the ears sometimes, I guess. I got you. Um, but yeah, I have, you know, I'm a huge Tool fan. So, Hell yeah. All right, uh, now we're on to our favorite segment of the interview called Crazy One Time Stories. It's where it could be uh, you in the crowd, it could be you on stage, it could be anything dealing with music, absolutely anything. It's unrated, so you can say cock ass balls, it does not fucking matter. Cock ass balls, it doesn't <laughs> fucking matter. <laughs> I he love it. George is like the coolest fucking person ever. Cock ass balls. Okay. Uh, so I think George, you had a crazy one-time story for us. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you know, a lot of times uh, when I'm playing, 
and I hit the cymbals. A lot of times I hit my head as well. Okay. You know, so it's a, the Mike Portnoy move. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, Mike Portnoy move. He knows what you're talking about. And then Chad Gray apparently does the same thing with the, when he's singing with the mic. He's singing and he just starts doing that. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times when we went on tour with Hell Yeah and the Flames, Chad Gray, a lot of times people be like, oh, good job drumming, you know? I'm like, thank you. And sometimes be like, Good job on the vocals, and I'm like, what? You know? So they thought I was Chad Gray. Apparently, we looked alike. Ah, we don't look alike. Dreads only, and black jeans possibly. Just you know? they're stereotyping because you're dreads. They I, think I, I you think that, look like I mean, any other dreadlock like, person. That's I think that's the only thing we have in common was dreads. Honestly, and black and black outfit. You, you know? look like my brother. Yeah. Uh, his name is Brian Brown. Uh, Brian. Ex- Say hi, Brian. I'll have hi, a listen. Brian. We miss you. We love you. Why aren't you here? Exactly. No, he looks exactly. You guys have the same eyes. Like you just look the same. That exotic look. You know. Right. right. So I don't. So anywho, so we're at the hotel uh, one time in uh, in Canada, okay. and uh, I was eating uh, some ice cream, and I saw two of the people that were at the show. And I gave him some ice cream, and they're like, "Oh my God, you did so good tonight! I can't believe it!" And I was like, oh, "Thank wow. you." And they're like, "The way you hit your head, and the, the, you, you're craziest, you're the craziest musician I've ever seen in my life." And I was like, "Well, thank you, thank you so much, you know." And they're like, "Let's party together." So, uh, mom, ear muffin for a second. So after two thousand dollars. Of cocaine, alcohol, and yeah. great, amazing cocaine, alcohol, uh, sexual that, activity. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> cocaine, alcohol. Yeah. It's actually alcohol that you snort. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's called. Cool. <laughs> you snort it and it gets you wasted. Yeah, it's the new thing. I, you have to. You have I to be in the know to really be able to get any that's of it. That's A lot awesome. of presents. I'm so they bought lot. that. Yes, a lot of presents. That was Edmonton. Yes, I remember that. And they get the and they're like, Canada's rolling deep with pop. And then they were like, "What's your name?" And I was like, oh, "My name is George." And they're like, "Oh, that's your real name?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's my real name." <laughs> <laughs> I go by George. Yeah, there's an S at the end. It's French George, maybe. It's George. <laughs> and they're like, "Well, that's cool." And they're like, at the end, they're like. We really also liked the, the first band. They were so good, you know? Like the bass player and the singer were amazing. Where are these guys from? And I was like, that was you. Those guys are from Colorado. <laughs> and, they're, and they're like, oh, cool. And they're like, they, they thought just, you guys were. They thought I was Chad Gray. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? They yeah. Were, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and then I was like, I'm not going to tell this group of people that I'm not, you know? So they'll be like, we just spent $2,000 up your nose. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so I stole you. It was like, all right, guys. Bye. <laughs> See ya. Like, like the cable guy. See you later. They, they, wanted, they wanted to take pictures and selfies at the end before I left. I was like, let's not get into, you know, that stuff. Let's just stay friends. You know, I was like, whew. I just ran back up to my room. I was Holy like, All shit. Right, guys. And now they have this story for their friends that they met Chad Gray from. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And the dude, like, was seriously offering for me to have sex with his girlfriend. I was like, okay. Why did you not do that, sir? Because I, I, I was kind of realizing may, maybe, like, right before I left, that they were starting to think that I was someone else. I was like, all right, this is not good. Oh. You know? As soon as they started mentioning, like, like, where are you from? And I was like, Boulder. And they would be like, oh, cool. That's not where And they were like, from. just like... 
Why would Chad Gray be from Boulder? <laughs> that's fucking phenomenal. That's, that's a great, crazy one-time story. Yeah. There was another awesome. time. There was another time where George might have had sex with a stripper behind Vinnie Paul while I, while Hell Yeah was playing. Yes. And behind uh, Vinnie Paul? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Tell that story real quick. Yeah. So it's real, real quick. <laughs> real quick. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah. Met a girl, and then um, I was like, so backstage is usually is where the darkest lighting is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's where all the fun stuff happens. Yeah, yeah. So my uh, my strategy don't sell it though. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know you want to see uh, the band backstage, you want to take pictures backstage. Yeah. Sure, we'll go backstage if she's feeling it. And and I was like I have to like do this behind Vinnie Paul. This is legendary. Yeah. You know? So like it's so, like I opened up the curtain while he's playing. And no he started way. doing the doggy style. And he's watching. And he he's watching. And yeah, he, no, he, he actually did turn. <laughs> he turned and he, he was mad, actually. Him and his, uh, him and his uh, roadie, uh, Pete King, his personal assistant, were mad. He does not like people behind him because because of, you know, dime bag and like, like he just doesn't like people being, he wants to be aware who's behind him. I got gotcha. you. Know, you know, especially it says, so I'm, I'm doing that, and we're doing it doggy style, and then his uh, assistant's like tripping over the alcohol. He's trying to give alcohol uh, to Vinny, and he's tripping over everything, trying to tell me like to like get away from there. You know? like, All right. <laughs> it was, it was so then they come All back right, to the so then they come back to the merch table, yeah. and the chick he had just pulled her dress up and went for it. Yeah. So the chick he never pulled her dress back down, and she's a stripper, like legitimately was a stripper. That's what her profession was. Yeah, yeah. And she's just walking around at the merch area with her ass just. Like pure, like nothing covering it. And this fucking 16 year old girl that I've been chatting with at the merch table goes up to her and she's like, sweetheart, here you go. And pulls her fucking dress back down. She's like, oh, thanks. Wow. She didn't even care at all. Didn't even care at all. She was definitely hot. Dude, he's making me jealous. Like, these tales that we could be doing. Now we're doing it, man. We're doing it, George. I don't know how to fucking follow that. No, there's Dan's got some good ones too. I have not. I, have I gotta not. be good. All right, Dan. Yes, you do. Oh shit. All right, we're on. We're all trapped. Okay. And uh, we we had a bus and. I took this girl back, it was like the first or second night, and we were in the bus, and I was fucking her in the back, and I hear a knock on the door, and it's George, and he comes in with a shitload of merch, he's like, Dan, Dan, I need you to sign these CDs and posters, and her and I are ass naked. They've been in there for like an hour and a half, yeah. we're waiting for Dan to come sign shit, and Dan's like taking his sweet time. And George comes in, he's like, is it okay? I'm like, whatever, dude, I don't care, and I just had a boner, I'm signing these posters, he's like, wow. he's like yeah, yeah, get it done, yeah. I'm signing CDs and posters, I go, thank you, and I just felt, that was like, for me, that was the defining rock star moment, that was yeah. like, kicked off everything for me because yeah. that you know I was signing merch with this you know just fucking George comes hot. in and she was oh my god yeah and there's more Good to stuff. the story and then you let me <laughs> oh yeah yeah I, I let I, I uh I said, George, feel what you want to, see what you want to, look at it. I go, come on, sweetheart, turn around, get on your knees, let George feel you. And, I was like, and she did. So that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. You had your turn. I, I did one slap, one slap. He did, he did a smack, smack, smack through credit, credit card. Credit card, slide. yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do the Vulcan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Vulcan, Vulcan what? The Vulcan and then... <laughs> <laughs> and then... Live long and prosper. And then when the... And have many orgasms. Exactly. <laughs> you still got your thumb. You still and got your thumb the, the other go through, yeah, yeah. when the car didn't go through, I put the chip in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. He did put the chip in. So yeah. the actual Vulcan salute is this there, this on the back, and this, uh... You guys yeah. heard of the minivan? Yeah. It's uh, five in the back, one in the front. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also called five in the stink. Five in the stink, yeah. Yeah. Man. We're working, we're, yeah. And, and, uh... You I have, got nothing. You have Canada. Oh, Canada. What, when I had crazy anal sex for an hour and a half yep. with the bus and, and I everybody saw kept it. trying to get in? And I, I saw it by accident. <laughs> <laughs> he had crazy Canadian Whoa. anal sex. Well, dude, I thought one of you guys were with Brooke. I am now. Thanks this for bringing a, yeah, that up. Was... Jesus, Tyson. Come on. <laughs> I don't care. Don't I don't care. Well, the best part about that story was... That was a year ago, for the record. Yes, okay. Brooke, he loves you very dearly. I do. The best part about the Canadian anal sex story was we had this uh, sound guy on tour with us who we ended up not really liking all that much because yeah. his breath smelled so bad that you could smell it for like oh. 20 feet around him. Jeez. So we started calling him Jaws and Chum Gums and all this stuff. Right? And uh, so I hated him so much and I'm sleeping, I'm having sex with this girl on the place where he sleeps in the bus because the bunks you can't really have sex in but he slept on one of the couches. So I made this girl squirt all over the place that he slept, and I didn't tell him, and he went right to sleep that night. Oh. Uh, the sound guy that we didn't like that came with. Us. Oh, he was on a whole tour with you guys. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and we're yeah, we smelled his breath all day, every day. It was bad, it was hard, hard stuff. It was rough. It was rough. <laughs> you know, I used to drink peppermint stops every day, hundred proof. So my breath smelled like Christmas, like all day. Yeah, that's a good way to do it, man. Yeah, yeah. it's what you want. Now it's Fireball. Cinnamon. Exactly. I have got to say, Source has the best one-time stories I have heard. Especially George, you crazy Lebanese fuck. <laughs> How many times have I called you that? <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. All, the yeah. Time. All, All the time. Floor! Yes! Woo! -hoo! Yeah! <laughs> anyway, uh, we are wrapping this up here with the crazy one-time stories. We are getting ready to watch Source perform and it's gonna be fucking phenomenal so make sure you guys look this up on itunes google play music or any podcast app that you guys have on your phone hit that fucking subscribe button and do not pour this down and yes, get our album do. on itunes exactly. source return to nothing get it on itunes yes look them up on facebook throw them a like as well do that my name is tyson this is a rock channel i'm victor and this, and is, this source. is source and Hell so yeah. are you <laughs> What's up guys? We are Source and so are you. And you are listening to The Rock Channel. <laughs> <laughs>
George behind the, the drummer from uh, Hell Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, uh, yep. <laughs> you guys just listened to the interview. That was some crazy fucking one-time stories. Okay. Um, yeah. On to our next segment uh, entitled Crazy One-Time Stories. It's where you email us at rockchannel.net at gmail.com. Yes. Um, and tell us your crazy one-time story, uh, whether it be as a fan, uh, performing a, sh- a show, uh, as a musician, um, as you're in the crowd, or just something in- that happened during the music of your life, you know, just anything. Just, it's just email us your crazy one-time story. Um, basically, uh, we're a fairly new podcast, so if you're just now tuning in, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Overcast, Stitcher, and many other your favorite podcast outlets. Tune uh, in. Yeah, tune in, tune in FM. Um, just look us up and subscribe. It's free of charge. So type in the Rock Channel podcast on one of those outlets and it'll bring it up. Uh, it's also on YouTube. Uh, basically, if you have an Android, type into your app store any one of those things, except for iTunes, then it'll come up. And if you have uh, an iPhone, you'll find it on the iTunes store. So... Except uh, for Google Play. Yes, except for Google Play. But it really helps us move up in the ranks if you give us a review on one of those. Uh, give us five stars or whatever you think we're worth. Just also, throw don't, it at don't us. forget about our YouTube channel. Yes. Uh, go find us on there as well. And also like and comment because that helps us a lot. And subscribe on there as well. And Free subscribe on there, yes. Um, so basically, if we have everybody's help, all of our listeners' help to do that... Our website uh, will be up soon, which you'll be able to donate. Uh, you'll be able to subscribe to extra episodes. You'll be able. We're gonna have a merch store on there to where we have T-shirts, etc. So be looking for that soon. It will be coming up. So with everyone's help, we can make this show uh, go through the roof. So let's make this, this is the greatest podcast on the planet. Yeah, damn in history. right in history. All right, right. band discoveries. Band discoveries. All right, uh, mine is Twelve Foot Ninja. Uh, 12 foot ninja is uh, not 7 foot ninja not 7 foot I said that during the Gemini <laughs> syndrome uh, but no I really got it mixed up because I, I know a guy named 7 foot like personally know him and so I was thinking that whenever I was saying 12 foot ninja alright uh, they excuses, are excuses excuses yeah I hear you they are a fusion metal band from Melbourne Victoria uh, that released its debut album Silent Machine in 2012 uh, the band consists of Ken on vocals, Russ on drums, uh, Stevik on guitar, and Damon on bass, and Rohan on guitar. Rohan. They, Rohan. Uh, they, won, <laughs> they won Best New Talent at the 2014 Revolver Golden Gods Awards, America's only hard rock music awards, as well as two listener-voted awards from Sirius XM's Liquid Metal the year before. The band broke a world record for the most amount crowdfunded for a music video. Like GoFundMe or, or Patreon. Much? They don't How know. Much? It doesn't say. How much? It does not say. <sighs> All right. And their albums consist of Silent Machine, uh, 2012, and in the U.S., 2014, uh, Outlier in 2016, and their EPs, uh, New Dawn, 2008, and Smoke Bomb, 2010. So, yes, my band discovery is 12 Foot Ninja. If you have not heard about them, go check them out on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Etc. So now they they are discovered. They are discovered. Okay, let's discover together another awesome band. Yes, which is called Rishlu. That's R I S H L O O. Rishlu. Yes. So they were formed in 2012 in Seattle. Uh huh. 
Uh, and they continue to gain widespread recognition. I mean, they're still fairly underground, but okay. they're slowly moving up. Uh, so they have a very dynamic sound, uh, the thought-provoking lyrics, intense live performances. Uh, they, they shared the stage with... Uh, um, Ashes, Divide, Seven Dust, Trap, Carnival, Papa Roach, uh, and a whole bunch, Judas Priest, and a whole yeah. bunch of other bands. Um, so um, they're compared a little bit to uh, Dredge, uh, the Mars Volta, Tool, stuff like that. Cool. So they have progressive uh, rock influences. They're, they have a, a little, well, it's called actually progressive art rock. Yeah, yeah. Because it has some psychedelic influences. I'm sure, their and stage shows are pretty, pretty extensive yeah. art-wise as well. Yeah. You know, yeah, they're 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 pretty good. Um, so they have uh, four albums now. Their latest one is "Living as Ghosts with Buildings as Teeth." Buildings what? Oh, buildings as, as teeth. Teeth. Okay, gotcha. Um, that was released in 2015. So we're waiting for the next release, guys. Come on, do it, do it, do it now. Do it. Get to the chopper. Do it. <laughs> All right, so uh, that's um, uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, uh, they've uh, sold; they they're all self-produced. They sold about uh, six thousand uh, units of their first uh, uh, album, about ten thousand units of the second album. Um, their fan base is glowing all the time, and I have to say, they deserve it. They're incredibly good musicians, and uh, go check them out. Awesome. Um, I've got to say that was uh, an amazing episode, if I do say so myself. You say that every time. I do, because it... It could be the most horrible episode, and you're still going to say, you know, this was so amazing. Because I have faith yeah, in our podcast and I'm what we are doing. cry all night long. That's what we are doing. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what were you saying? Come on, come on. All you, right. you, you said it was an amazing episode. Yes. If you don't say so yourself. Yes, so stay tuned next week for our next adventure in this crazy world we call Rock and Roll. Which is going to be even a better episode than this It will. It will. So until then, rock on. Bye.